This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. You know, we did an appearance in um, Woodbridge, New Jersey yesterday. I was there with uh, Sid Rosenberg, Ernie Anastas. Had a great time. Great to meet a lot of listeners that came out and said they really enjoy the show. And um, one listener it w- was great. He said to me, you know, it was we were at a jewelry store. And he said to me, you know, oh, I didn't want to bring it in, but I have two dozen eggs for you. I said, what? I said, he says, yeah, I have two dozen eggs for you. I said, well, bring them in. They're really for me? He said, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you wanted them. I don't know if it was appropriate for Drew. I said, absolutely, I want them. Uh, please bring them in. So a great fella who has a farm in uh, Clark, New Jersey. I met him before, and um, he came to this event, and he brought me two dozen fresh eggs from his farm. I am ecstatic about this but it is interesting i said you know if this had been a year ago i would have been incredibly grateful because of the price of eggs now the price of eggs have come has come down to earth a little bit on average not these farm fresh eggs like this gentleman brought me but the a dozen eggs cost an average of about two dollars and 14 cents that's pretty reasonable. It's about the same as where we were in um, 2022 or, you know, 2020 or 2018, you know, or, uh, you know, 2016. You know, that's a pretty prominent egg, a pretty regular egg price, 214 So their peak price was in January, and I actually stopped eating eggs. Now, eggs are my favorite food. I actually stopped eating eggs because they were so crazy in price. I said, no, there's no way I'm paying that crazy amount of price for an egg. So the peak price back in January was $4.82 a dozen. That's according to the Consumer Price Index. They say, by the way, that prices for eggs may spike again next year. That's the word from Bloomberg. But here's what's interesting. You know, whatever you look at, we look at Halloween candy, we look at favorite horror movie, we look at favorite Christmas movie, we look at favorite anything, we look at the things people are Googling, we look at the profanity habits of different people. And it's one thing's very clear that the people in Maine have very different sensibilities than the people in Florida. The people in Texas have very different sensibilities than the people in Hawaii. But 
you know what was crazy? Eggs stand it out, stood out, stand out, stood out. Eggs stood out as the item most searched by Americans. When you type in, why is blank so expensive in all 50 states and the District of Columbia? Eggs topped the ranking. Isn't that amazing? In all 50 states, this is according to uh, data that was shared with Axios by Google Trends. In all 50 states, red states, blue states, northern states, southern states, the number one search for why is blank so expensive was eggs. And I think it goes to show you that this is something that really brought the country together. The whole country was really moved by this eggflation. 14 other countries, including Canada and Mexico, also had eggs as their top why is blank so expensive search this year. So hopefully that does not come to fruition again next year, but I suppose only time will tell. Hmm. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Ray is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, Ray. Ray. All right. Call back, Ray, when you, when you, you know, are, when we're not taking you away from anything. All right. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hey, Frank. Now, I'm asking this question because even though we speak to you, on a, on a re, uh, every night on a regular basis, like you're a regular guy, you still occupy a certain space that we really uh, cannot fathom on certain levels. So I'm going to ask you this question. Are there, any, sir, are there any topics that you are afraid to approach or speak to on, uh, uh, on the radio for fear of your safety or your family's safety? Hmm. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, hmm. For fear of our safety, I'm gonna say no. I, I, you know, no. I, honestly, the only the only subject that I'm um, occasionally reticent to uh, delve into, uh, and thanks for the call, Larry, is criticism of Israel as a country and the Israeli government specifically. I've noticed that there are a lot of Americans that will stand by and listen to you criticize any foreign country in the world, Ukraine, Russia, China, Mexico, Canada, and even your own country, the United States. And yet, if you question the actions of Israel or you criticize the actions of Israel, there's this whole, you know, this whole contingent. And it's, by the way, it's not just left wing or right wing. It's, you know, across the board. There's this whole contingent that dives in. How dare you criticize Israel? So I, I think the um, I think that is one issue that I tread lightly on because even though it's a foreign country, there's a lot of Americans that treat Israel as if it's the 51st state. So I wouldn't say that I'm afraid because you know when the Israeli government does something that I think is wrong, I, I certainly say so. But I, I'm certainly much more careful with my words than when I'm discussing the American government or my my own government, right? So uh, that's the that's the only area that I can think of.
honestly. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Hey, um, I was a big fan of the original Willy Wonka film with Gene Wilder. And then I actually even liked, it took me a little while to uh, to see it, but I even liked the kind of the remake of the Willy Wonka film with um, Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka. It was a little wacky, but I liked it. I liked it not as much as the Gene Wilder version, but it was fun. Well, now there is a new version of Willy Wonka, and it is apparently a much happier, much more upbeat version of Willy Wonka. It's simply just called uh, Wonka. And so far, I haven't seen it, but I will see this because I'm a fan of the Willy Wonka story, and uh, I really enjoyed the books. I really liked uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and uh, even the sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But I, Timothy Chalamet, it's a prequel, I guess. Timothy Chalamet plays the uh, protagonist, Willy Wonka, as a young man just getting started in the chocolate business. And I am really looking forward to this. I, I, I've heard, eh, I, I want to say mixed reviews, and maybe... I'm rewarding Hollywood for doing exactly what people like me say they shouldn't be doing, rehashing the same old successful ideas instead of coming out with uh, something new. But the film comes out today, and it has Timothy Chalamet in the title role as Willy Wonka. I'm going to check it out. I don't know if I'll make it to theaters, but I'm uh, I'm really gonna I'm going to check it out. And you know, a friend of mine. You know, it's funny, by the way, my my brother and sister both went to LaGuardia with Timothy Chalamet, who's now one of the biggest actors in the world. But um, I don't, they weren't really friends with him. My sister liked him. My my brother Alex wasn't so crazy about him. And in any event, um, there was another film that came out that's uh, either coming out or it's out now. It's called Iron Claw. I am really interested to see this. Apparently, it's about the Von Erich family in in terms of pro wrestling. And a film critic friend of mine asked me if I was looking forward to seeing this. I didn't know anything about this. And then I just happened to see an ad for it just yesterday. I'm very interested in this Von Erich family. Fritz Von Erich was a pro wrestler, great pro wrestler. He had, I think, I'm not looking this up, I'm just doing this from memory, he had, I believe, five sons, maybe four, but I think it was five. All of them became pro wrestlers. Each of his sons became a pro wrestler. And then all of them either killed themselves or died tragically in some other manner. It's really just a classic, just horrible tragedy. Horrible tragedy. The whole family. And I guess now, I, I was amazed they didn't make a movie about it 20 years ago. Now they finally made a movie about it, and I will uh, I will absolutely check it out. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about smartphones and what they mean for children and adults, but especially for children. If you want to um, weigh in on Twitter, you can find me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. I'll tell you one thing I was really – I'm not going to talk about it now because I'm going to get too worked up about this. I was really disgusted that the House of Representatives not only passed the NDAA, but they passed 
an extension of the Section 702 wiretapping by the FBI. So now the FBI is free to continue to spy on you without a warrant. You know, we had heard from some people like uh, Congressman Thomas Massey, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, that this was finally going to be the year. There was enough bipartisan opposition. They were finally going to stop it. And sure enough, this bipartisan blob that runs everything, they extended it. So I'm not going to get it now, get into it now because I'll just get crazy. But um, I, I'm going to revisit this on Monday. Actually, we're off on Monday. So I will visit revisit this on Tuesday. So I will uh, make some notes and hopefully find something intelligent to say that you haven't yet heard. So we'll see. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Adam is in New Jersey. Uh, he has a comment about the Von Erichs, the wrestling Von Erichs. A lot of folks may remember Kerry Von Erich. He was the uh, Texas Tornado and uh, the former NWA world champion. And obviously they were all sons of Fritz Von Erich. Adam, what did you most want to say? Hey, Frank. How are you, buddy? I am uh, just peachy. Thank you. So like you, I, I'm 56. I uh, watched wrestling when I was younger. And the Von Erichs were like, wow. Holy cow. Terrible, terrible story. Real quick, my sister's husband, they live in Texas in Austin um, on a fabulously huge ranch that his parents owned. So his parents just sold it uh, like a couple months ago. So I was asking her, so who they sold, sold it to? Must have been somebody pretty important. Oh, yeah, some Von Erich people from the uh, wrestling. Yeah, the Von Erich kid who's still alive bought this 10,000-acre uh, uh, ranch and whatnot. They met him. He said he's wonderful, great guy. He looks like he just came out of uh, war, hobbling and uh, and roaming around and whatnot. Super nice guy, but yep, it's the Von Erich uh, family. The ranch has eight bathrooms. If wow. you wanna, yeah, humongous. But I love the Von Erichs. Like I'm sure you did when you were, you know, they were great. But such a tragedy. tragedy oh no, no, absolutely. Life. Are you gonna see this film, The Iron Claw? Yes, that's yeah. why I jumped up and called and said, "Wow, Frank's cool." Speaking about the Bon Erichs, that's an exciting, very cool movie. Yeah. Love the story. Yeah, I don't Love know any. Uh, thank you, Adam. I appreciate you sharing that. But I honestly don't know anything about the film, and honestly, I'm shocked that I don't know anything about it because this is the era that of wrestling that I followed very closely, and I didn't know anything about it until my friend texted me, this uh, film critic friend of mine, and he said, "Oh, I'm sure you're going to see the Iron Claw. Just you're interested, just like I am." And my response, as dopey as I am, I guess I'm busy with other things, I don't know. I said, what's the Iron Claw? And he said, it's about the Von Erichs. And then sure enough, yesterday, the day before, I'm watching Jeopardy, and they have this advertisement for the Iron Claw. I am absolutely going to see it. I don't know if it's one of these things where it's going to come out simultaneously in theaters and on streaming, or if it's uh, one of those things that I may have to make a special trip to the theater for and hire a babysitter. If that's the case, so be it. I will. But um, I'm really interested in it. I'm shocked that it wasn't made into a movie earlier. Um, Matt Blaze, are you up on this film? I know you used to follow wrestling, or you still kind of follow wrestling. Yeah, I knew about it um, because I heard about it because Zac Efron is in it. And he's jacked. He's like huge. You know, so I have to be honest. I know Zac Efron is famous. Yeah. I'm not sure who Zac Efron is. He though. was on. He was like a Disney kid. I think he was high. Uh, was a High School Musical, and then he was in that movie Seventeen again with Matthew Perry. 
when Matthew Perry got it. See, I'm familiar in, with it, but I, I have not yeah. seen it. Sure. So he's been in a bunch of movies. He was, you know, a heart teenage heartthrob. Right. Okay. And now he's, you know, a little older. He's in his twenties, and he was in he was in the Baywatch movie too. Um, and now he, pl- I don't know which Von Erich he plays. He might play Carrie Von Erich. I'm not really sure, but I know I've seen when they were filming it. I would see pictures of him. They're talking about, oh, they were making this wrestling movie, and he's just totally jacked in the movie. Do you know Do you know anything about the film? No. I think it just follows the Von Erich family. That's all. And I don't know that much about the Von Erichs. Uh-huh. I, mean, I know Kerry Von Erich was in the WWE, because that's what I primarily watched. But I do know, obviously, the family and the tragedy of the family. Because that was always something that was talked about. And Kerry Von Erich was one that did commit suicide. Yeah, no, no, no. Several of them did. And, you know, it's interesting. He was also, as I mentioned, the NWA world champion. I think he actually beat my favorite wrestler, Ric Flair, for the world championship. Because they did this, the NWA did this big uh, world title bout in Texas. And the feeling was that the Von Erichs had just experienced a tragedy. I think it was Kerry Von Erich's brother that died. And let's put the belt on Kerry Von Erich for a short time because the big event that we're having is in Texas. And at the time, you know, I know in the WWF, he was called the Texas Tornado, but I think at that time in the NWA, they were referring to him as the the Yellow Rose of Texas or something along those lines. And and he won the championship over Ric Flair. And look, I mean, Kerry Von Erich was in great shape. I mean, looked like a, a bodybuilder. He should have never have beaten Ric Flair for the championship. I mean, it's, just, it's absurd. And so... You know, the folks at the NWA said, all right, well, a week or two, maybe a month or so later, you're going to give the belt back to Ric Flair. You're going to lose the belt to Ric Flair. And Kerry Von Erich, according to Ric Flair's book, was very upset with that. He didn't want to give the belt back to Ric Flair. He wanted to reign as the champion for a while and apparently apparently had a very, very tough time with that. So I don't know anything about the film. I don't know if this is one of those films that's done with the cooperation of the Von Erichs or if it's done kind of as an unauthorized pseudo-biography. But I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check it out. I really am. Hey, the other thing that uh, I'm not going to bring up, maybe we'll talk about this on Tuesday, but I got a chance to look at a little bit of the CNN town hall meeting that they did with Vivek Ramaswamy yesterday. Occasionally, people will call this show and say, oh my goodness, Frank, you're such a good interviewer. Uh, your interview with so-and-so, doesn't matter who, was so interesting. Now, honestly, I don't think I'm that good of an interviewer. I think I could actually be a lot better. But if I am a decent enough interviewer, do you really want to know what I do? Here's the secret sauce, ready? These are the only two things that I do. I think of things that I'm genuinely curious about. And I ask them, and then after I ask the question, I don't say anything. Quiet. I let the person that I'm interviewing, because presumably I'm interviewing for them for a reason, either because their opinion is meaningful or because they have a viewpoint that I want to showcase or because they're a newsmaker or whatever. You know, I want to hear their view. I don't want to interrupt them. I want to hear what they have to say. So I don't say anything. Well, I saw a little bit of this um, town hall meeting with Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, uh, this woman from CNN yesterday. I think it was Abby Phillips, but uh, don't hold me to that. And 
They're talking to Vivek Ramaswamy about this, uh, his, what he said about the January 6th incident. And basically what Ramaswamy has said is that, uh, in words or substance, that it was an inside job. Now, I thought this was a travesty, the way that she handled this interview. She kept interrupting him every 10 seconds, every 20 seconds, including when he was saying things that were factual. Now, I, I think it's terrible that people sh- would storm the Capitol. I don't think anybody should have done that. I think it's good that people who did that were punished. But so many of the things that Ramaswamy were saying were accurate. And yet, this commentator for CNN, formerly with the Washington Post, was just interrupting him every single time he tried to say anything. And then I'm looking at some of the coverage of this down hall meeting, and they're going on and on about how this was such a great interview, a great discussion. And really, that's the secret sauce in cable news. Whether it's MSNBC or CNBC when Chris Matthews used to do his thing on Hardball or on Fox News, when Bill O'Reilly used to do his thing there, or on CNN with this woman who was interviewing uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. If you want them to call you a good interviewer, all you have to do is the opposite of what I do, which is not let people talk. I think if you have someone on a program... You should ask questions and let them talk. I don't think you should have them on just as an excuse to interrupt them. So, you know, there was a fellow yesterday, I think, or the day before, that brought up the idea of me doing a television program. And that's exactly why I wouldn't want to do that. Because that's what television has become now, especially on cable news. becomes just, again, with the notable exception of Smirconish. It just becomes interrupting. And people say that's a good interview. So um, maybe we'll play that on on Tuesday. But I found that really just absurd that that's what, what she felt that she needed to do to prove her bona fides. So, All right. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about smartphones in a minute with uh, Dr. David Burstein. 800-848-9222. Don is in Brooklyn. Hello, Don. Yeah, how you doing, man? Um, listen, I, I, I'm calling up. I just actually called before for a question, but uh, it changed now the comments, so I'll just comment my question to you. Um, when I first initially started listening to you, I don't know if I, I don't want to mention the other station, but Curtis had a uh, an ad for, you know, your, your your show, you know, oh, the other side of midnight and, you know, extraterrestrials and such and such. And I never heard of you, to be honest, you know? And then I heard you and I was like, wow, this guy's, really good you know like your your, your style the way you interview yourself is good but i have to say to you that i feel that uh you know a a, a lot of times i'm just gonna show it's not too much other side of midnight or what i thought it would be or maybe what people actually would like because i know you know there's competition on another station and you know without naming names sometimes people like the kind of content that he has, but uh, like you were saying before, sometimes uh, he doesn't let the guests <laughs> answer the questions that the callers post, you know, or he'll answer them. And it's just like, what? So why would why would someone call and ask him? You know, you would you want the expert who you interview? You want to ask them? You know what I'm saying? I notice you're very good. You ask them and you step aside. You let them talk. This is very good. But I, I actually want to know, you know, I, I was wondering, like, 
why are they wasting Frank Morano like this and not giving him a bunch of good guests that have these topics? Well, I appreciate the the compliment, Don. You know, uh, look, I mean, we all do the best we can with what we have, right? So, uh, as far and I, I um, so as far as I understand what you're saying, so you, you think we should do more segments related to extraterrestrials and things like that? Yeah, yeah, you know, and of the like, you know, this kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I like it. I, I'm interested in it, and you know, Don, I do try to do a lot of it, at least a little bit every day. Um, you know, I, I guess that's a fair criticism. I'll work on that. Uh, you know, we're going to work on. Uh, you know, I have some things in the pipeline. You know, for next week that I think are going to be interesting in this respect. You know, I, I try to do, and thanks for the call, Don. I, I try to do in any given show a variety of different subjects so that if you're not interested in what I'm talking about right now, if you're not interested in the Von Erichs or eggflation, maybe you'll be interested in smartphones and their impact on children. If you're not interested in that, maybe you'll be interested in who I'm denouncing. If you're not interested in that, maybe you'll be interested in what kind of cigars people will want to buy for the holidays. If you're not interested in that... Maybe you'll be interested in fun holiday music, right? So my goal with this show is to give you a reason never to tune away. If you're bored with what I'm doing for a few minutes, hopefully there'll be something else a few minutes from now that you're interested in. And I think the extraterrestrial aspect is an important aspect of it. And I try to do as much of it as possible, right? So could we do a little bit more? Probably, and I'll work on that. Thank you for that uh, that call, Don. 800-848-9222. Can smartphones give hugs? Dr. David Bernstein, or Dr. H. David Bernstein, to be precise, says no. We'll get into it in a minute. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Good be- 
Miles on the way, Little River Band. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Um, we're trying to get a hold of Dr. H. David Burstein, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to chat. But if not, we'll schedule him for another day, and that gives plenty of time for you and me to uh, talk about whatever's on your mind, which is honestly my preference for a Friday because uh, there's uh, so much negativity out there. I'd love to focus on fun subjects, interesting subjects, different subjects than the rest of what you hear throughout the day. 800 that's 800-848-9222. It was very nice, though, to uh, have that one fella bring two dozen eggs to this jewelry exchange. Now, that's the one thing, because my wife eats eggs, my son eats eggs, I eat eggs. That's the one thing that we what, that goes. That goes. We, we always are in need of eggs. So what he said was, because he listens to the program, and he knows my Aunt Camille makes a lot of egg salad, maybe... I can, you know, give some to her. So that's what we're going to do. I think maybe today I'll drop off a dozen eggs with my Aunt Camille and, you know, she can make egg salad with those and then I'll keep a dozen and then we could use for, you know, for our purposes. All right. Um, oh, you know, it's funny also, after the Super Bowl, you know, uh, excuse me, after the jewelry exchange thing, I went to meet a friend for a cigar and my friend Richard Stratton, who's been a guest on this show, and uh, not in a while, where he's overdue to come on this show. He's got a new book out. He's a fascinating guy. But I have, oh, I've been talking about him for a while with other friends of mine. And I said, all right, you know, Richard just happened to text me. Now, Richard, if you don't know the story, I met Richard Stratton in 2009 when I was covering the fourth trial of John Gotti Jr. And here's a guy who looks out of central casting for a wasp's wasp. Here's a guy that looks like he is the definition of old money. Here's a guy who looks, acts, and speaks exactly like an English professor. And it was during jury selection in the fourth trial of John Gotti Jr. And I was the only journalist to cover that fourth trial who had covered every single day of the previous three trials. So there were not a lot of reporters that came during jury selection, and Richard Stratton was there. He, As I said, he looks like an English professor. In my mind, he's got, you know, he's got kind of grayish hair, uh, uh, reddish, pale skin. Again, the out-of-central casting for a WASP English professor. He's wearing a sports jacket. I don't know if he actually had those things on his elbows that English professors have, but in my brain, in playing this back, he had that on his elbows. So he introduces himself to me and he says, hey, you know, I understand people tell me you're a guy that knows about this case. And I said, yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know that I know that much about it, but, you know, I've been covering it. And, you know, I, I'm certainly very interested in it. And he says, basically, um, that he's working on an article. He tells me the, the, you know, the genesis of what the, the focus of his article is. And he says, uh, you know, I'm focusing on this. I'm not focusing on the case necessarily. I'm focusing on this. And I said, oh, that's very interesting. It reminds me of, and I give him an anecdote that I know would be very helpful to his whole article. And he says, that's incredible. That That's exactly the kind of thing that we're looking for for this article. So from that moment forward during the trial, you know, when you cover trials, you, you have kind of, trial friends, 
Sometimes there it's the sketch artist. Sometimes it's the attorney. Sometimes it's it's never the juror because they're they only fraternize with the jurors. Sometimes it's uh, another reporter. And I, I've had in different trials that I've covered all those trial friends. But you kind of adopt a guy or a gal that's your trial friend. And sometimes, it, you know, depending on how long the trial goes, sometimes you develop a whole trial social group. So my trial friend was uh, was Richard Stratton. And I'm very impressed with this guy. And we're talking one day and he said, uh, yeah, you know, that reminds me of when in the first trial, Jeffrey Lickman was saying X during his summation. And he repeats what Jeffrey Lickman says. I said, you know, you're right. That's exactly what Jeffrey said. I said, um, well, so you know Jeffrey. He said, yeah, you know, I met him when I was working for a lawyer named Michael Kennedy. And then uh, I said, hey, you know, why weren't you here for that first trial? And he said, oh, you know, I was a, I was the showrunner for a show on Showtime at the time called Street Time. I said, okay, didn't really think about it. A couple of weeks of the trial go by, and Richard and I are hanging out every day. We're having lunch every day. We're having a good time and uh, observing the trial. I'm very impressed with his legal insight. He's very impressed that I know everybody. I'm introducing him. He's very impressed with my memory of the previous three trials. And, you know, you know, we become fast friends. And so Jeffrey Lickman, who's a regular guest on this show and a very seasoned criminal defense attorney in his own right, he calls me. I was putting him on the radio with Curtis. at. Uh, I was producing Curtis's show at the time. Curtis was on at night. And I was producing Curtis's show. And I was putting him on the radio with Curtis. And I uh, was talking to Jeffrey just to kind of prep him for the segment. And he says, oh, by the way, what's happening at that Gotti trial? And um, I said, I said, give him my take on what's happening. And he says, oh, well, that's interesting. He says, hey, do you ever see Richard Stratton down there? I said, yes. I love this guy, Richard Stratton. He says, do you know about Richard Stratton? And I said, uh, know about him? What do you mean, know about him? I know he's a smart guy. I know he's a very nice guy. I know he seems to really like you a lot. says he knows you. He says, do you know how I know Richard Stratton? I said, no, I have no idea. So Jeffrey tells me, and again, this is as best my memory can be with a phone conversation from the year 2009. So Jeffrey tells me, he says, Richard is the smartest guy in that courtroom including you, including John, including the judge and all the lawyers. He's the smartest guy in that courtroom, and he's a brilliant writer, one of the best in the world. And he says, you know, he really became a brilliant writer in prison, served in prison for years. He was a big drug dealer. I said, what? I didn't know that. So anyway, Richard ends up telling me that he... It, throughout our friendship, it comes up naturally. He wasn't bragging about it or anything. It just kind of came up. He ends up telling me that um, he was, he, he, you know, a, an importer of marijuana and hashish in the late 70s, early 80s. And I've had him on the radio a bunch. Not Again, not in a few years. So if you're a new listener, maybe you don't, you know, you don't remember the story. And he represented himself at trial. A fascinating story all around. And so there's so many different aspects of his story that are interesting. His self-representation, the fact that he got himself out of prison, the fact that he um, you know, was a friend of Norman Mailer, the fact that he launched this into this high-profile writing career, the fact that his ex-wife is a, a pretty prominent writer, the fact that he comes from such a waspy background. And I've read all his books except the most recent one, 
and which is why he hasn't been on the show because he's been wanting to come on and promote the re- most recent book. And I've been a little embarrassed that I haven't read it. And uh, it, you know, it's just, I don't have the time. So anyway, I was telling the story of Richard Stratton to some friends of mine a couple of weeks ago. And then it just so happens, and, and these guys are all enthralled. And I, and this is not the story that I just told you. It's the long story of Richard Stratton. Not only how I know him, but all the stuff that Richard does. So these guys that I uh, was were hanging out with about three weeks ago, they said, oh, well, we really want to meet Richard. Just so happens Richard texted me last week. He said, Frank, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. I'd love to get together for, a, you know, a drink or dinner before Christmas. So I said, hey, Richard, you know, why don't we get together Thursday? I have these guys that I get together with from time to time. They're really eager to meet you. So we get together last night after this uh, appearance at the Woodbridge Jewelry Exchange. Had a great time. Richard had some great stories of stuff that he's working on now, other stuff that he's done. And then my friend, uh, I call him Jack. My, it's not his real name, but that's his name for radio purposes. My friend Jack, who's a friend of mine from childhood, who then became a uh, one of my closest friends. He was in my wedding party. He comes and joins us. He happened to be in, in Midtown. He comes and joins us. And he happened to be in my wedding party, and um, you know we go back a ways. He went on to become a very prominent lobbyist and a big shot in the world of politics. He was the chief of staff to the speaker of the city council, basically ran the city council. And uh, that now he's back in the private sector. He's making a ton of money and doing a lot less work, as is the case with this revolving door of the shallow state or the deep state. And so he, he we were having a good time. He's telling me, he said, hey, you want to come to the to the Super Bowl in Vegas? I said, oh, well, I don't know. He says, no, 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 no. Listen, I have a client that's, uh, you know, that's a hotel. I'll get you a comp room. And I said, well, I don't know. He said, look, I have two tickets to the game. Um, I'll take one. You take one, right? And, you know, I said, well, you know, okay. Uh, that sounds a lot like a lot of fun, but that sounds like a lot of responsibility. I mean, that's a hot ticket. I mean, probably sell that for $5,000 or bring somebody that's more important than me. I said, I would go with you out there to Vegas just to hang out and stuff like that. But I don't want the responsibility of having to be worth that ticket. You know what I'm saying? You know, like if someone takes you to an expensive restaurant, right, that's a, you know, a thousand dollar dinner, you kind of feel an obligation to over deliver in terms of being a a dinner companion for that person. That's how I feel for the Super Bowl in Vegas. And even though, you know, we're close friends, you know, from the time we're nine or ten, you feel like, okay, this is a hot ticket. I, all of a sudden, I better do something nice. Either be, I better be super entertaining, or I'm going to have to buy, uh, you know, four or five dinners. I, I just as soon stay home and watch the game on television. So he says to me, oh, "How about this? You know, come out there to Vegas, and if there's a client or a big shot or something that I can give the ticket to, and it will help my business, I'll give it to them. Otherwise." You're coming to the game with me, right? Otherwise, you know, I don't want to hear that you're tired or you don't like crowds or you don't want to go through all the rigmarole that you have to be on the radio three hours later. You you, you come to the game if I can't get somebody else to come. So I told him I would uh, check my calendar and um, get back to him tomorrow. But I'm very, you know, ambivalent about this in the, the fact that, one, I think it would be a fun thing to go to a Super Bowl, never been to a Super Bowl before. 
and certainly in Vegas with a with a close friend that would be fun. But I just see this as like, like a lot of noise, and a lot of a lot of crowds, and a lot of running around, and a lot of driving to the airport and having to take flights and take your shoes off when you get to the airport, and then uh, check in and get there early, and then have your ears pop in the airplane. I just I like to kind of just not deal with any of that, but I don't really see how I can turn down the Super Bowl invite. So I kind of feel obliged because my friend was so generous to say yes to the Super Bowl invite. That's kind of where I am. I'm going to chat about it with Rachel, see her view. What's what's what are you what are your thoughts, Matt? So my, my first instinct is to be like, you're an absolute idiot for not wanting to go to the Super Bowl. Well, I didn't say I didn't want to go. But, but then I start thinking about it and listening to what you're saying, and I go, you know what? <laughs> I wouldn't want to go either. And so- my team's not in the game anyway. If my team was in the game, that's one thing. The Jets are making the Super Bowl, then I want to go. Well, I but could, other than that. The Jets nor the Giants are making right, the exactly. Super Bowl. Right, exactly. But other than that, do I want to go through the crowds and then, like you said, the rigmarole and, and all these people and the responsibility? And I'm not really going to be, I mean, I'll be into it as much as I could be into a game. Yeah, it's fun to be there. But do I really want to right. go through you all know, I'm that? I'm just picturing, like, I, I can just kind of watch the game at home and then sleep for two hours before coming to work or right. or find a radio station in Vegas to do this show from right after the Super Bowl, you know, on no sleep after dealing with these crowds. So, And you're not that into football. Yeah, I'm a casual like, fan. to go to the Super Bowl. Right, exactly, casual So, like, I, that's me. I go, you know what? I don't think I'd go either. Yeah, so I don't, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I, you know, my friend was, I think, a little drunk when he made the offer. So I'm going to call him tomorrow and see, you know, if maybe he's thought better of this. And I'll chat with Rachel and see her view. But I don't know. Tell me what you think. W- would you go if, if a friend of yours offered you a ticket to the Super Bowl? 800-848-9222. At this point, I'm kind of like, I would say 60 to 70 percent leaning yes, just because it's a story to tell, right? It's a unique experience. It's something you can talk about on the radio. It's something that you can kind of check off your list. It's in Vegas. I, You know, I have a lot of friends in Vegas. But it's just the, yeah, uh, to me, traveling, I've gotten better with this. I used to never like to travel because I don't like the whole airport process. I don't like the getting there early, finding a way to the airport, checking in, waiting for your flight, Maybe the flight's delayed. Maybe it's not. Getting on to the flight. Then, you know, um, uh, there's all the issues with, you know, being on the plane. Then getting off the flight, getting to your hotel, checking into the hotel. It's a lot of rigmarole. And it's great if you're going to be somewhere for a week, right, on vacation, a a fun vacation. If it's somewhere where you're going for a weekend, it's, eh, is it worth it? I don't know. I don't know. So but, I think you'd rather just go to the Mob Museum for the fifteenth time than yeah. go to the Super Bowl. Well, so I, I was at the Mob Museum twice, right? So I don't know. Um, and Oscar Goodman, who is the uh, former mayor of Vegas, the current first man, great guy, he's been a guest on the show a bunch. You know, I could kind of hang out with him again. You know, that would be fun. Eh, I know, but you know, to be away, I hate to be away from my son for a whole weekend. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. It was nice of my friend to offer. But I'm not sure how I'm going to handle the the invite. If you have a thought, let me know. 
9222 This is the other the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. Vitema Tepinarov cream 1% is a prescription topical treatment for adults with plaque psoriasis. Do not use if you're allergic to Vitema cream. The most common side effects, red raised bumps around the hair pores, pain or swelling in the nose and throat, skin rash or irritation, itching and redness, peeling, burning or stinging, headache and flu. Tell your doctor about all the medicines you take and if you're pregnant or plan to be, ask your doctor if Vitema cream is right for you. You deserve more from your topical. Go to Vitema Dot com. That's V-T-A-M-A dot com. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Can't help it if I wonder Wonder what she's doing Can't help it if I wonder what she's doing Seven minutes until the top of the hour. Uh, coming up at, at the top of the hour, we're going to do denunciations. And then um, we're going to talk with Gary Korb about cigars. You know, during the winter, I don't generally smoke cigars too much. Because, honestly, the weather is just not conducive. I mean, I, there are a lot of indoor cigar places that you can go to. But it's just something about summer that is so conducive to cigar smoking. Sitting out on the the porch when it's a beautiful day, having uh, a nice cigar, a nice cup of coffee, maybe a a whiskey or a rum, or even you know barbecuing or uh, anything, right? While you're outdoors, it's nice. During the winter, eh, I, I I almost I go from during the summer I'll smoke maybe a cigar or two a week to during the winter smoking maybe one every two months. Now, I mean, and again, cigars are not a healthy thing, so if you could avoid it entirely, I guess that's the best thing. But I um, had a cigar last night. I was glad I did because I hadn't had one in a while, and it was quite good. Hopefully it's not reflecting in any voice scratchiness on my part. But I got a really interesting email from a listener last week who I got the sense was trying to buy a cigar for a cigar smoker in her life. And she said, well, what kind of cigar do you buy for somebody? And it reminded me that we are way overdue to chat with uh, Gary Korb from Cigar Advisor. He's going to join us in about a half hour, and we'll chat about cigars. 
right? What makes them so interesting? Uh, a couple of people asked that. By the way, if people have questions during that segment, uh, you're welcome to call in for Gary Corb. But I think the more common thing is people have a, a father, a brother, an uncle, a, a son, a nephew, whatever, that may be a cigar smoker, and they don't know what to get. So hopefully Gary can you know give you a little bit of insight. And then you know who's going to be here in the uh, final hour of the program? Ron Albanese. Ron Albanese, the uh, children and children's entertainer, who's just a great guy, a great musician, and uh, we'll you know spend some time celebrating Christmas and uh, sharing some great Christmas music and things of that sort. And uh, I'm looking forward to having him back in in studio. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Oh, I want to thank Jersey June. It's a great listener to this show, Jersey June, who used to call all the time, but I, for whatever reason, she has stopped calling. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's me, but she still listens, apparently. She sent to my house. She, she's always so generous. She sent me, she gave me a beautiful lapel pin one time with uh, the flags of the state of New York and New Jersey because she's kind of New Jersey's favorite daughter. And uh, I really treasure it. You know what a fan I am of lapel pins. So she um, sent me a really nice Christmas gift for myself and also a beautiful card for Carmine. She sent me a T-shirt and said she came across it somewhere and immediately thought of me. It's a T-shirt with a photo of William Shatner as Denny Crane on it. And it says, what would Denny Crane do? And then she also had a nice card um, and with a very sweet note about the passing of our cats. And um, I think she gave Carmine $25 or something. So uh, wanted to thank Jersey June for uh, sending that Christmas gift our way. That was, uh, that was very kind. Appreciate that very much. And, uh, you, know, you know, please call again. You know, whenever you uh, hear a subject that strikes your interest, call again. I am, meantime, hearing all sorts of stuff about Andrew Cuomo being serious about, <laughs> about running for mayor. And I can't tell you what a disaster I think he would be as mayor. We'll see what happens. But uh, I, I hope that he is never elected mayor of New York City. It, I mean, who, who knows? Cares? Who knows what happens? But it would be... A, uh, a disaster, as far as I'm saying. And you know what's amazing to me is here is a guy who is largely responsible for congestion pricing, and he's totally, now that he's out of office and doesn't have to take any responsibility for what he did, he's totally changed his position on congestion pricing. He is doubling down on his support for Mayor Adams. He's saying the DOJ is political. The city is going to hell in a handbasket, but it's not his fault, nor Mayor Adams. Well, whose fault is it? Uh, Hello. Until next hour, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.